Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. If you have your Bibles or if you want to look in your phones very quickly uh, to Jonah chapter 1. Uh, it's tricky to find in the Old Testament. If you go to the Psalms in the middle, you hang a right and then it's stuck there amongst the smaller prophets. Uh, but if you want to look it up in your phones a lot faster, you can do that as well. It obviously won't be here behind me in the church. For those of you who are at home, welcome in. You'll be able to see it because Gigi's able to give you a, an image, uh, but we won't be able to see it here in the church. I'll read it to you. And church, as we always do, let's stand together as a show of respect to God's word. We'll read from Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. At the very, very end, I'll kind of recap you on chapter 1, and then we'll jump into chapter 2 all the way through verse 10. So Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, through the end of chapter 2, verse 10. Word of God. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect word read upon our hearts this morning. And I pray that for those who are watching and for those who are here, that this would be your perfect word for us this morning, not mine. I pray that it would be your voice that is heard, your presence that fills, that we would encounter you. So Lord, here we are. We have come here to hear your voice. We have come here to see your face. Show us your glory. Show us your glory that when we walk away from this place, we would know that we have been in the presence of God Most High. Jesus, thank you for making this moment possible. Holy Spirit, move in us, touch us, and change us. We pray this in the very powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. So just a word of introduction uh, for those who are jumping in with us this week, for those online as well. Uh, we're going to preach a, a very short four-part uh, series through the book of Jonah. Uh, I honestly don't know why, because as I explained last week, uh, as Alex was preaching for us in July, I was thinking of what to do with these three or four weeks that we had before September. Uh, from September to about right before Thanksgiving, we'll preach you through Genesis. We're going to look at all those mountain peak moments in the book of Genesis so that we really understand what Bethlehem and the baby Jesus being born is all about. 
So as I thought about these three weeks in between, I thought, well, I want to preach a little something out of Philippians. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Maybe a little bit of Colossians. I had also wanted to do 2 John for the longest time. These small little letters that sometimes we kind of gloss over. And um, it was one of those really powerful Holy Spirit moments where there was a screaming in my ear, a little louder than normal. And it was like, no, you're going to preach Jonah. And I'm like, but, uh, but why? You know, like the church and I kind of know where we're at and the way that we're going. And, and just, you know, it was one of those Holy Spirit things like, no, you're going to preach these four chapters. So I'm like, okay, so I'll preach the four chapters. When the Holy Spirit yells, you listen. And so he yelled, I got yelled at. And so here we are. So as I said last week, and I'll say it again as we start the, uh, this morning, uh, I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody either coming through these doors or listening online. So I pray that these messages will be a blessing to you. For those of you who missed last week, go to the YouTube page, watch it so you can connect well. But in a nutshell, here you have Jonah, who is a prophet. Uh, Israel at this point, just so you understand where we are in the history, David is gone, Solomon is gone, the, the, the country has broken in half. And he was a prophet for the northern kingdom. There was a lot of bad kings. There was a couple of good ones, sort of good ones, that God blessed up in the north, even though they had disobeyed and broken away uh, from the south, which kept the name Judah. The Israel, uh, Israel is what the, the north is called. And Jonah was a prophet up there, so he had some power. He was pretty well known, a uh, prophet to one of those kings. And he's sitting home one day, and he has this powerful kind of Holy Spirit experience, a little, obviously more, uh, more real and more intense than mine, I would guess, or just more intense, not more real. Holy Spirit is always the same. And uh, the Holy Spirit says something that he would have never imagined. He says, I want you to rise up and I want you to go preach to Nineveh. And here's what you got to understand. These are the enemies of Israel and actually of the world at this moment. This is a violent empire. Describe some of the, the, the things that they did last week just to give you, again, to catch everybody up. Uh, these were people who, when they came to your village, they would identify the grandfather or the father of the family, chop their head off, put them on a stick. And if they were going to use you as slaves, that was like your banner that you marched into Nineveh with. Uh, they would cut off an arm, cut off both your legs, and as you bled to death, they would shake your hand and laugh in your face. They would leave you just one arm to shake hands with you. This was barbaric behavior from these people. And this is who God says to Jonah, I want you to preach my word to them. Their sin has come up before me, and I want you to preach. And so what drives Jonah away from God is, if, jo if God is going to destroy them, why warn them? The only reason that God would warn them is because he's going to give them a chance to repent. And that for Jonah makes no sense. How could my greatest enemy, how could the person that I hate the most, how could the person who's hurt me the most, how can they possibly be given a chance to repent? Is that not what you say about other people? You look at other people and you say to yourself constantly, there is no way that that person could be accepted by God. There's no way that that person, how do we typically say it, is getting into heaven. But you don't know God's mind, thank God, and you don't know God's wisdom, thank God. And his wisdom, his understanding is way different than yours. So here you have Jonah who receives a message to go preach to, his, to the enemy. And suddenly the guy who was all about God and all about God's word, we see who the real Jonah is. Right? He looked like a prophet. He looked like somebody who listened to God. He looked like somebody who knew God's word. But when push came to shove and when God asked him to do something that he didn't like, right, then he runs. And we do that too. As long as God rubber stamps everything that we want to do, we're happy to come to church and we're happy to volunteer. We're happy to do things. But once God says, nah, no, then all of a sudden we start figuring out who you really are. Then all of a sudden we start figuring out how much do you really love God and how much do you follow God and how much is it you're marching to the beat of your own drum, not his. So what does he do? He gets on a boat. He goes down to Joppa and he heads to Tarshish. Tarshish was in Spain. 
He is over by Israel. He's on the coast. This, is, this was the end of the world. Okay, as we said last week, a little fishing village there, and nobody dared go into the Atlantic because nobody could see the other side. And so this man runs as far away from the will and presence and word of God as possible, but you know the story. Big storm hits, they roll the dice, it lands on him. And when it lands on him, the only thing that this great man of God has as a response, and we'll get into a little bit of what he said later on, is, well, just throw me overboard. He was so rebellious and he was so disobedient and it was so Jonah's way, not your way, that he would rather be thrown into the ocean rather than stay on the boat and be taken back to what he was supposed to do. We rebel the same way. We push back against God the same exact way. There is a lot of Jonah in us and maybe that's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit has us preaching this sermon. So now we go into chapter 2. I started off at the end of 1. So you can see the most famous part of the book, right? The guy who got swallowed up by a whale. And isn't it funny that it only has one verse out of four chapters. But that's all that we know the book about. And so let's just kind of walk through what's going on here. So first of all, this first sentence, Now the Lord provided a huge fish, think whale, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. First of all, what you need to understand right off the bat, because there might be somebody in your life, maybe you, maybe a friend, who likes to fight back against the Bible. The subject of that sentence is not fish, it's the Lord. So what the author is telling you is that the person who is acting, the person who is making things happen here, the person who is on stage with the spotlight on him is the Lord, not some kind of fish. God is at work. God is providing a way for him to be saved. He's redirecting him. He is repurposing him. Now, for those people who like to take the whole Bible literal to try and see if they can catch church people or Christians, Christ followers, I'm not using Christian uh, word, here's what they start saying. Well, you know, what kind of a whale? And if he's in there for three days, how much oxygen does he have? And does the, do the digestive juices begin to break down Jonah? Blah, blah, blah. If God wants it to happen, it happens. And so the first door that we knock on is the door of miracles. There are two basic views. Both are correct. View number one is the obvious one. God can will and do whatever God wants to will and do, period. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need the understanding of the scientists. He doesn't need the understanding of the guy who did some research on the computer for the whole night and now thinks that he's a theologian and he knows everything about God, Jesus, and the church. God does what he wills when he wants. The other view, which is also correct, is that God will work within the means of the world and nature he has created. Sometimes God does not need to go out of bounds. God works within the bounds of the structure that he created, of the rules of nature that he created that all of us studied in math, and he will work through that. Because think about it for a second. Jonah's thrown overboard. The storm doesn't stop right away. He doesn't know because he gets swallowed up. He could have been given superhuman strength and swim to the shore. He could have been, there could have been a little piece of wood floating by. He was pretty close. They tried to row to shore. He could have just rolled the waves in. None of these things happen. And even though none of these things happen, God's purposes will still be accomplished. Let me ask you a question. And we could do a show of hands around the room. So this is the participation part of the program. So prepare yourselves. I'm going to ask you to do something. It is not scary. Okay? Do you believe that at the cross of Jesus Christ, God put all the sin of the world on him and the sin that was meant for you, the punishment meant for you, fell on the shoulders of Jesus at the cross. Do you believe that the cross of Jesus Christ takes upon all of your sin and mistakes? All those in agreement, please raise your hand. Wonderful. Put your hand down. Do you believe 
that on that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus comes out of the grave. If you do, please raise your hand. Okay, great. Third greatest miracle that we've ever seen. Do all of you believe that 50 days later when the Feast of Pentecost comes around, the disciples are in the upper room, there is a wind blowing in the room, tongues of fire, Peter comes down, Peter, the screw-up, decides to preach this first sermon. He connects the Old Testament to Jesus, he preaches, and 3,000 people are converted. Pentecost is actually the birth of the church. If you believe in that miracle, please raise your hand. So then what is the problem with a big fish eating Jonah? Do you see? The key here is that God takes second place to no one and to nothing. And he uses whatever he wants to deal with people however he will deal with them. In the end, the Bible is the authoritative Holy Spirit inspired word of God that comes straight from the lips of the Lord and it is good and it is trustworthy and we will obey it. It's that simple. That you are sitting right now in the greatest miracle of all, the church of God, the people of God, all of you, I can't see in your hearts, I'm just going to assume this, I'm going to throw this out there, all of you, new creations bound together in this church at this time. As believers, we should expect miracles, we should never demand them from God, and we should rejoice when we see them. Miracles are for larger purposes than just God meeting your needs. Please remember this, because sometimes we get caught up in why doesn't God and why doesn't God. A miracle always has a larger purpose attached. Jonah, go preach to Nineveh. You don't want to? There is this miracle of a fish and days and vomited onto dry land because the miracle is God accomplishing his larger purposes. When there is a miracle that happens in your life, that miracle, I hate to break the news to you, is not for you. The miracle in your life is serving the larger purpose of God to bless and save someone else. So ask God for eyes to see the small, beautiful things that happen around you God working small miracles within the order of his creation and those small ones breathe fresh air into your faith. God works inside and outside of the rules. Okay, so then let's get a little bit more deeper into this. So why this way, right? Why this way? And we always ask the wrong question. The question is not <clears throat> what kind of fish, the question, or what kind of whale. The question is why does God choose this way for him? It could have been any other way. It could have been a passing boat. It could have been something else. But why this place? Ah, because this miracle is meant for a larger purpose. It's supposed to point us and signify something else. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. We can't show it behind you. You can make a note, write it on your bulletin, write it on your phone. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. I'll read it for you. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, his favorite nickname for himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Oh, so it's not about a whale at all. It's about a tomb, and it's about a resurrection. And what's happening to Jonah, the miracle here, is actually has a larger purpose for you and me to see the rising of the Son of Man. It's a declaration of what's going to happen with Jesus, and then it's also a contrast. 
Jesus is willing to go to the tomb for the sins of humanity, rise again, and call a people to himself triumphant. Jonah is not willing to go to Nineveh to redeem those people from their sin. And in his disobedience, God locks him up in a room until he figures it out. And that's what we're going to talk about a little deeper today. Jonah needs to be reset. It's not so much about a whale. It's so much about Jonah being alone with God. It's a grave. This man is dying. You see, it's not only that there's a prodigal son story in the Bible, Luke 15. It's that this is a prodigal prophet. And the prodigal prophet disobeys. And it's not that his attitude needs a little bit of fixing. It's that he needs heart surgery so that he would do the will of God. Jonah tried to run away from God. And now he's sitting in the belly of this beast and he has to run back to God in prayer. So let's go to our second point. If there were screens behind me and those of you at home can see it. This second point, I just entitled it The Dark Night. The, and I should have entitled the whole thing The Dark Night of the Soul. There's a, this is the way the reset works in our lives. Two, two parts to it. Part number one, <clears throat> and I think all of us have probably had this experience. It always starts with what Jonah says here. I was hurled to the depths. The current swirled about me. Waves and breakers swept over me. He's drowning. He's dying. He's not going to make it. In other words, God help me please. Have you said that before? Have you paused for a moment when you were alone and it's not, hey, let's go get lunch and let's do this and the kids are doing that and let's go this and I'm going to go here when it's none of that. When you just sit there by yourself and things are crumbling and life feels like it's crashing and burning and the only thing that you can really say besides just trying to put one foot in front of the other and trying to make sure that you're still breathing, all you can say is, God help me please. And that's what's happening here with Jonah. He is saying, help me please. I am dying. In his mind, he was dying because he's sinking now to the bottom of the ocean. Remember, people in the ancient world didn't go to the beach to swim. That's a modern thing. They were terrified of the ocean. No one went for a swim. You went for a swim in the river. You never swam in the ocean because it was chaos. It was dangerous. This man doesn't know how to swim and he's been thrown off a boat. But the, but the whole point is that he's desperate and he's crying out. And in order for us to be reset, sometimes God will use this kind of a situation when we feel like we're drowning and we feel like we can't breathe and we feel that we have no idea what the next step is in order to get our attention to create the second chance. But the second chance hurts you because as much as you're asking God for help, you realize that everything has crashed and burned because of you. You're the one that made the mess. And you're the one that decided selfishly. And you're the one that decided arrogantly. And you're the one that wanted it your way. And now that everything is crashing and burning because of you, now all of a sudden you're sitting there saying, God, help me. And God is willing to help. But it hurts. It hurts. Because we know that we're in the mess because of us. And now God takes you and he puts you in a quiet place. That's grace. A God that doesn't abandon. A God that's willing to swallow you up. Put you in a dark, quiet place. This guy doesn't know if he's in the ocean or where he is. He went from one dark, wet place to another dark, wet place. And when you're humbled and when you're quiet and it's dark and you're lonely, Lord, I need you. And then here comes the second hardest part of that moment. Because not only is like, Lord, help me, please. This is all my fault. This is the product. This is the fruit of my actions. But then here comes the devil pressing his favorite two buttons. 
Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Oh, you'll never be able to go back to church now. Oh, you've done too much. Oh, you'll never be able to face those people again. Shame. You've been gone for too long. And you need to understand that Jesus at the cross, when they hang him up basically naked in front of people, the Son of God, ruler of the universe, the glue that binds everything together, hung by a bunch of neophytes, a bunch of fools who thought that they had beat him, hang him up naked. That is shameful. And he takes your shame in that moment too. Don't let the devil trick you. Don't let the devil keep you away from God's people with guilt and shame. If God was willing to meet this rebellious, hypocrite, hard-hearted, racist prophet, he'll meet you in the dark place. But the second part of the reset is this. What does he need reset? Right? What, what needs to happen to this guy? Well, last week gives us a clue. I'll read it for you. For those of you at home, you might be able to find it. Gigi will put it up on the screen very quickly. In chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, very interesting conversation. The sailors, right, when the lot falls on him, the sailors ask Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? In other words, what God do you serve? Who's responsible for the storm that comes out of nowhere? But then it gets more interesting. What kind of work do you do? Oh, boy. Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Look at Jonah's response last week. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I told you last week that that, that word worship that's used in that sentence is not the fear and reverence that we like to use. It's more like I'm affiliated with God. But notice what happens. They asked him, who's responsible? And over, who, who's your God? What do you do? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you? Notice that Jonah answers it backwards. Instead of saying, I serve God, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I happen to worship God. There is the trouble in his heart. He's got it backwards. And it's the irony. The sailors who do not believe in the only true God of the universe, Yahweh, the God of Israel, are asking him, what God do you serve? And Jonah is saying, but I'm a Hebrew. It's like, that's not what we're asking. He had it all backwards, and that tells you where the reset is coming. Listen, our identity has basically four pieces to it, obviously more layers, but four big pieces that those verses identify for us. Who is your God? What is your purpose? What is your place? Who are your people? Those four things create who you are, a very big chunk of who you are. Who or what is your God? What is your purpose? What is your place? What is your people? Now the question for us this morning is, do you have it backwards like Jonah? I am a, when people ask you, what, if, we, if somebody just walked up to you and say, who are you? What would be the first thing that would come out of your mouth? Well, I'm, I'm Cuban, I'm American, I'm Colombian, I'm Venezuelan, I'm from the United States. What would come out of your mouth? I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a business owner. What, what would come out of your mouth? What should come out of your mouth is, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. First, because the belief dictates purpose, purpose dictates place, and place dictates people. Can you see this? This is your identity. And he had it all backwards. And the irony is when people in our lives, like we said last week, sailors, 
right, who know nothing of the belief are looking at people, that's just, again, Christ followers, Christians, and are saying, why are you doing this? Aren't you one of those people who goes to church? Like I said last week, those are the worst words that you could ever hear spoken to you. The worst ones. More than you have cancer, heaven forbid, more than so-and-so only has six months to live. I mean, fill in the blank with the most horrible thing you can hear. And the most horrible thing that you could ever hear in your days until they bury you is, aren't you one of those church people? Aren't you one of those people who follows Jesus? Why are you doing this? That's the worst. Because then you've entered into Jonah territory. And now everybody knows that you're a phony. Aren't you supposed to be doing this? But why, why are you this way? We are made, and I've said this to you before, and we'll repeat it again. In Genesis, when we're made in the image of God, it means that we are made to worship something. But we are made to worship the original image, God's image. But what do Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve set us on a course that we find anyone or anything to worship that is not God. And we try to build our lives on ourselves. And then when our lives are threatened, because we know for a fact that if I build it on a, on a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, fiance, a husband or wife, a family, those things, a career, heaven forbid, money, heaven forbid. If you build your life on these things, we know that it's like sand. These things are constantly in flux. And when anybody threatened those, threatened those things, we get very angry. That is why a lot of people spend their whole life comparing themselves to other people, comparing their kids to other people. Because heaven forbid somebody be better than them. That's because of the insecurity in their identity. Because they got their stuff backwards. God is not first. Purpose is not there. Place is wrong. People are wrong. Keller says it best. Love Keller. Listen to this very closely. To know who you are is to know what you have given yourself to. True or false? To know who you are is to know what you have given yourself to. If you want to know what you're really about, ask your heart, what do you surrender to all the time? Identity. For Jonah, his identity was no longer in God and his word. It was in him being part of Israel, being part of a people, being part of a place. So part of his reset is resetting his identity. He has it backwards. And God's going to lock him up in the belly of this fish until this guy figures it out. But I love that Jonah starts saying, yet I will. I'm dying, right? I'm here, I'm fading, but I will look on your temple. Wow, what did the temple represent for him? Let's get into that, our third point. Let's start talking about a resurrection. When, he, when Jonah says, when he's praying, he says, I've, I've gone, no, well, here's, let, me, let me teach you a little something about the book of Jonah. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the, into the, the bottom of the boat to fall asleep during the storm. He is thrown down into the storm, and he goes down into the fish. Can you see what the book is doing? He, he's descending. He is getting farther and farther from God, descending into a grave. He's killing himself. But yet he says, I, I, will, I remember, I can see the temple. Well, what did the temple signify for him? Obviously, the presence and person of God. That holiest of rooms way in the back where the Ark of the Covenant was hiding, that the priest sprinkles blood on it, the mercy seat. He's saying, yes, my God is a God of mercy. My God is a God of forgiveness. Lord, I am dying. I am going down into the pit. Save me, he says. 
Sometimes we have to arrive at a point of crisis to have our eyes open to how much we do or don't love God. Sometimes we have to arrive at a point of crisis to know how much we truly follow God or not. A lot of people like the idea of God, but they don't want to follow God. A lot of people like the idea of Jesus, but they do not want to obey him. A lot of people like the idea of salvation, but they don't want to be transformed out. Does that make sense to you? A lot of people go to church. A lot of people go to church because they like the idea of God, of Christ, of salvation. But not that they're willing to let themselves be changed by it. And here is Jonah descending into a grave. The death of his old self. And when he says here, he says, To the roots of the mountains, the earth beneath barred me forever. This is such a great image. In the ancient world, they believed that once you were dying and you were fading, 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 that, that you arrived at a point where when, when the grave and death was about to grab you and pull you in, there was a metal door that, just think jail, jail cell door, that slammed behind you. He's like, the door is closing behind me. And here's what you need to understand about God. And at first, this is going to sound kind of intense and a little strange, but it'll make perfect sense when I finish a couple of sentences. Sometimes God will allow you to descend to the depths of darkness. He will allow you to crash and burn. He will allow you to arrive at a crisis point. He will allow you to be locked up in a dark place. And guess what, church? He will not let you out of there until you are ready to be born again. Does that make sense? He will hold you there. It's almost like being held under. Has any, remember when you were a kid, right, and you were wrestling with someone in a pool, and they stuck your head underwater, and how you started to get nervous and antsy until you kind of came up because you, need, because you, were, you, felt, you feel your body's like, hey, this is not good. We're running out of oxygen. We're not going to make it. Same thing. God will hold you in that place, in that prison. He'll keep you in the dark until the end of self comes, until that backward identity dies, and then the new you is ready to be born again. And he will allow a crisis point. He will allow things to crash and burn. He will allow everything to happen in order for you to finally have eyes to see that it's not so much the idea of Jesus, but it's living for Jesus. The idea of God, but obeying God. The idea of his word, but living by his word. God will do that to you. So don't be surprised if you're sitting here listening to me today or watching online and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been locked in a dark box for a year, two, five, ten. He will hold you there. He will keep you there until you are ready to be resurrected, a new person. And now you're saying to yourself, man, God is mean. No, God is loving. Because you have a bunch of people around you who don't love you enough to look you in the eye and say, what are you doing? So the next time that you want to know who your friends really are, it's the people who look you in the eye and say, what is going on with you? Are you okay? Is everything fine? What's wrong? That's the people who love you, the people who are willing to risk making you a little bit uncomfortable, you know, kind of get you a little bit shuffled up because they, they want to know what's wrong. They actually care. Everyone else is like, oh, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Oh, so, oh like, 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 like. Wow, wonderful friendship we got going there. Like, I'm there for you. Like, you can count on me. Like. Stupidity of this moment we're living in. Sorry. Those are not your friends. None of those people really care about you. God cares about you so much that he will lock you up in a cage 
in the dark. And he'll keep you there until you get your identity back to how it should be. God first, purpose flowing from there, people that come from there, and then a place. His place for you. And he will hold you there. And it feels like you can't breathe until the old you dies and the new you is ready to be born. This is why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Behold, the new has come, the old has passed away. That's not something cool for pastors to say to finish the sermon. This is Paul saying that who you are before you meet Jesus has to die. It is worthless. Who you were before you met Jesus was taking you straight to hell. And now the new you has to be born. The one that hangs on to Christ. The one who follows Christ into the throne room of God. And now Jonah is receiving the grace and love of God that he refused to preach. And sometimes we receive the grace and love of God that we refuse to share. Church, if you feel that God is holding you in place, if you feel that he is sticking your head under the water and you can't breathe, if you feel that your life has gone in and out of crisis points, if you feel like Jonah, the waves are crashing and crashing and now I'm starting to sink beneath the waves and I don't know how to swim. Church, then I say to you, to whoever that might be online or here, then I say to you, it is time for you to look up and remember the temple, and remember the place that God should have in your life. Allow him to reset you. Let the old person die that the new you would be born. And that is what is called being born again. Because when someone is born again, notice how the passage finishes. I'll read it for you because I know that we don't have it here in the church. Those of you at home can see it. Notice what this phrase is so powerful. Those, verse 8, who cling to worthless idols... Those who cling to worthless idols, a guy, a girl, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé, a fiancé, a husband or wife, the kids, the job, the education, the vacation, the, the retirement, those who cling to worthless idols, none of those things can sustain the weight, the gravity of the transition from death to life. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Don't ask yourself, oh, I don't, why does God love me? And, 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 and what's, what's happening here in my life? God is trying to love you. God is trying to get your attention. But you keep hanging on. Someone is trying to rescue you. You keep playing with toys. And now as we begin to close, look at what he says. Look at the transition of Jonah. Look at how he, he shifts. But I, there's always a but in the Bible. Thank God. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Notice the shift. He will praise, he will sacrifice, he will vow. Now we're getting a new person instead of rebellious, disobedient, run away from God. He will praise, he will sacrifice, he will vow because he says salvation comes only from the Lord. And then See, the Bible's funny, and you have to enjoy this. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
The fish listens. Jonah doesn't. The irony is meant to be there so that you would giggle and laugh at it. How could a really big beast from the animal kingdom listen to God and right away it happens and here you have the enlightened prophet, man of God. Look how educated I am. Look at how much I know. Disobedient, rebellious, in need of dying to self and being born again. Listen, if you're frustrated with your life and if you come to a bunch of dead ends, if you keep trying things and they just don't seem to work sometimes, then that might be God holding you in place, locking you behind a door because he wants a new you to be born. And he will wait until you can see his temple again. He will wait until your eyes are focused completely on him. He will wait until you begin to praise, sacrifice, and vow. Notice that Jonah says, what I have vowed, I will make good. In other words, Lord, I am taking this step for you, and you can count on me. Come rain or shine, whether the earth is collapsing or it's a sunny day, I will walk in your way no matter what. This is the new Jonah that is talking. So church, I say to you, Are you ready for a resurrection yet or not? Because maybe someone here today, maybe someone listening needs to start again. Maybe you are tired of being held in this cage. And I'm telling you, in his grace and in his love, God will keep you there until the old you dies that the new you would be born. Because the old you is making a mess of things. Stop trying to blame everybody else. Stop trying to compare yourself to everybody else. The mess you're making, it's you. Because that's the old you fighting to survive, trying to come up for air. Man, resurrection, when Jesus comes out of that tomb, everything changes. You come out of a tomb. You come out of that hole in the ground. You come out of that cage. Everything will change. And I say to you this morning, stop trying to come up for air. Let the old you die. It's not worth saving. And let God allow a resurrected you to step into your relationship, to step into your marriage, to step into the workplace, to step into how you're planning your family, to step into leading your kids, to step into being a good kid to your parents, to step into, you fill in the blank. Humble yourself and listen. Ask God for eyes to see for eyes to see the deliverance he has for you. And if you feel that he's holding you underwater and you're dying to come off for breath, you need to start praying, Lord, let the old me die. I'm tired of the old me. You want a new me and I want a new me. And I pray that the desires of his heart for you would become the desires of your heart for you and for your family. Pray for eyes to see. Pray for a resurrection to take place. And it will. And just be prepared. Because God is going to spit you out where he wants, not where you want. Be prepared. He's going to spit you out where he wants you to do now the larger work of the miracle that he's performing. And you remember, miracle larger purpose. He's going to spit you out a brand new you in a different place so that then you can bring salvation hope, unlock somebody's jail cell, get them out. I pray God would use you that way. The resurrected you. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus who descended into the grave 
door was closed behind him. But the devil could not hold him. Sin could not destroy him and neither could death. And he emerges victorious and triumphant. And I pray that today, if someone needs to resurrect here or watching online or maybe watching later on, that they would humble themselves before you. That they would recognize that you are holding them in place. Whether it be their head underwater or whether it be just running in place. And that they would understand that it is your love and grace holding them there. Because you are waiting for the old self to die. That the new self would be born. That they would be a resurrected person. Not some recycled half thing that goes to church on Sundays. I pray God. That we would embrace the new. That we would not be afraid of it. That we would see the miracle that you are performing in our hearts and in our lives. But that we would also see the larger purpose. That that miracle in us is meant to take us to a different place, a new place. Maybe a different person who needs to hear the gospel. Needs to hear that same message who might be locked in a cage too. And you're going to use the resurrected us to break them out. I pray for newness. Pray for first steps. Pray for new lives. I pray for resurrected lives that bring lasting and eternal change. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and love that doesn't turn its back on us. Goes out to find us in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos. You swallow us up. You don't allow it to destroy us. You don't allow it to overwhelm us. But you do allow us to arrive at that place, at that crisis point, where we look in the mirror and realize that we got it backwards. Thank you for your grace that rescues. Thank you for your grace that provides new steps. Thank you for the, your grace that provides new life. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for Christ who makes all this possible. In his precious name we all pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.